Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. students welcome to the second week of school i hope you're all adjusting to doing laundry by yourself for the first time we are the star seminar and joining me is the great professor emeritus dr danny phantom and i am dr rabble rouser dr phantom how are you today you know i'm doing okay but you know what's funny you mentioned laundry because i actually had a tough time finding clothes this morning i uh i fell asleep last night i usually like kind of lay out my clothes because i just like i don't like to think in the morning because i'm you know, mostly asleep. So, but I didn't have I didn't have it laid out, and I'm trying to maneuver in the, in the dark because you know I don't want to wake up my wife and everything. But so, um, but anyway, I you know everything worked out. But you know, I it, you know I started thinking and speaking of looking good, I wanted to ask you because of who we are playing this week, I wanted to ask you which NFL team has the best helmet? Because I'll just go out and say right now that the Bengals are my favorite helmet. I, I love the stripes. I think that's just the coolest thing ever. Love the Bengals helmet. So that's my answer. Um, but what about you, Ravs? What is your favorite helmet? That's, I love I love questions like this because, you know, as an old head, it gives me an opportunity to kind of think back, you know, to when I fell in love with the NFL. And one of the, I, one of the in, instances when I first fell in love with the NFL is before I really knew anything about any of the teams – I was on the school bus. I was probably in like in fourth grade or something, maybe. I was on the school bus, and one of the kids on the school bus had an NFL lunchbox. And it had all the, like the NFC teams and their helmets on one side and the AFC teams and their helmets on the other side. And the, and the logos were so fascinating to me. I remember at the time just being captivated by this thing. And then later on when I was able to see those, you know, see those, those uh, helmets in action, you know, I was able to put two and two together. Um, I would say that some of my favorite helmets are probably the old school helmets. I mean, there are classics, yeah. right? I think that I think the Cowboys helmet is is a thing of beauty. Right. I think I lo- I think the Steelers helmet is really interesting. How they only have the decal on one side. You know, that's always been. Do you know of, why that is? Kind of, I I know there's I know there's a reason, but I can't remember what it is. Do you? Oh, you can you share it with us? Oh, let me think. <laughs> um, I knew it at one point. Uh, let's see. Oh, my goodness. Uh, the only thing I remember about it is they. They only went with one side, and I think they like won that way. So I think they just up and decided we're just going to stick stick with that. And then yep. they, instead yep. of like maybe it was just an equipment, you know, we didn't get that on both sides, sort of thing. We got the one, and then after they won, it's like nope, we're, this is our 
This is our helmet now. So this is our winning helmet. Um, I think some of my favorite helmets are probably helmets that don't exist anymore, uh, other than other than the, the sort of classics like the Cowboys and the Steelers, and to some degree the um, like the Packers, the Raiders. You know, the, those are classics. I love the old Patriots helmet. I actually one of the reasons why I I'm, I dislike the Patriots and the Tom Brady and Bill Belichick era so much is not just because of those two those two people and and the way the Patriots play, which frankly has always been kind of a they're not an they don't play an interesting form of, of football, but it's because they changed their uniforms. And I, I loved the old like red uniforms that Pete the Patriot on mm -hmm. the side. I thought that that, that that was a great logo. I, I love the old Buccaneers uniforms with the swashbuckling, like, you know, uh, uh, creamsicle guy. And I love the old Oilers uniforms with the, with the sort of like light blue oil Derek. Yeah. I think those are, those are all classics that I really, really miss. I think each of them has been replaced by something that's a lesser version of the original. I think it is raps because I'm to I totally agree with you. I mean, it's, it's, it's when you were kind of brought into that and just like, you know, if you look at, if you were to list all the helmets in front of me and just like of each team and just like, tell me to pick the one, I would always pick the one that I'm like right in the air when I started following it. Those were my favorite. There's a lot of nostalgia with it. Um, like another one of the helmets I really like is the old Los Angeles Rams. I love the way oh, that, yeah. that goes yeah. around, even with the, in the Chargers too, with the lightning bolt, you know, I just, I just think that's, it's really cool how they kind of make it creative to what, to their team. Um, like a helmet I, I don't like. To me, I, I like the Arizona Cardinals. That's just like the just. It's like the, they didn't have any ideas, and they haven't came up with anything in, in, over the years. Just like here's a cardinal head, straight up white helmet, nothing else. This is just this is this is what we're gonna do. To me, I think that just that looks really you know bland. And uh, but when you look at the teams that are creative and kind of work their work their their team, their some type of logo mascot or something into the helmet. And I, I think that's really cool. So, uh, so yeah, those are those are my favorites. Yeah, I think one of the great eras in in graphic design, frankly, was the seventies. It was a real explosion in, uh, in graphic design, and it happens to be that you know, I mean, the, the helmets we fell in love with were, and some of them were like sort of re recently redesigned helmets from you know, like if you look at the old Cardinals or the old you know, the old Jets or the old Packers or the, you know, the old Eagles from way before. They're totally different colors, totally different helmets, but it's though it's those that we sort of fell in love with. And um, I mean, the old Eagles helmet where the, where the wings used to come up from right above the, the face back face mask in front, you know, um, and they had the three stripes on the Jersey. I mean, just uh, every time I see those, I think, oh yeah, that's, that's how football should be. Did the Eagles um, have the hel wings on the back of their helmet? That I think they might have at one time, like way, way back in like the Norm Van Brocklin days or or something. Yeah, like a, a long, long time ago. Maybe when they won when they won the NFL championship in 1960, they had helmets like that. Can't remember exactly, but again, you know, like my 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 uh, knowledge of NFL history really begins in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, but um, Bengals have a great helmet. You know, it's uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to to the game. Um, why don't you tell everybody what we got going on on today's show? Yeah, I'm happy to. So um, we're going to welcome on John Sheeran, who's uh, who's a writer and and uh, editor for Cincy Jungle, which is the uh, SB Nation Cincinnati Bengals site. And he also is on several other platforms that we'll have him share with you um, to talk about uh, the upcoming game. And then I think after after he leaves, we'll talk a little bit about the state of the Cowboys. Because, uh, you know, it's not entirely 100% pretty, as you may know. Yeah. Um, before we do, though, I, I would love to just kind of ask you, 
Uh, if you look back across the history that we've been talking about, is there a favorite Bengals player or like, a, you know, a Bengals player who you always thought was like super cool or whatever um, that you can think of? Like when you think of the Cincinnati Bengals, especially the old school Bengals, uh, what, what do you think of? Well, so here's the thing. So um, I, I feel like most of the time, you know, our minds are kind of like somewhat, you know, connected, you know, we're st- from similar sort of. And uh, but there are other times there's I also like that we kind of have our own uniqueness to it. And uh, so I'm kind of going to go a little different direction than what, what I like. I don't think these are going to be your players. I'd be super shocked if they were your players. Um, I, there's a couple of them I wanted to bring up. Um, first off, I have to give a shout out to uh, Chad Ochocinco. So, I mean, he is probably one of the most famous uh, NFL players to come out of uh, my alma mater, which is, you know, Oregon State. Uh, He played 10 years with the Bengals. Um, Seven of them, he played all 16 games. And in each of those seasons, he had over 1,000 yards. So, he, I mean, he was a star. You know, I mean, he's certainly an animated player. He's easy to love, easy to hate. I mean, it kind of has to be on your team to to, to truly enjoy the antics of Ocho Cinco. I know my wife, she just, she loves, she loved to play like Michael Irvin and, and Dion and, and T.O. She loves the, the, the theatrics and stuff. And uh, Ocho was one of her favorites too. She only, she only actually owns three jerseys. One is Jason Witten. One, one is, is a pink Jessica Simpson Romo one. Uh, and, <laughs> and then, uh, then one is the, the uh, Bengals, Ocho, uh, Chad Johnson jersey. But so I, so I have to mention Ocho, um, you know, but Another player that I kind of, I kind of liked this again, kind of brings me back to the era when I started watching football. Um, I really liked James Brooks. And mm, yes, you remembered, you know, he started with the, the Chargers. Um, and, I, you know, Chargers were kind of like, I didn't have a second favorite team, but if I did, it would probably be San Diego because they were like, like Dallas, they were always falling short of the Super Bowls in the early 80s. So I just kind of, I guess I felt bad for them. But anyway, you know, then he went on and he played eight years with uh, with Cincy. He was just like a do-it-do-it-all type of uh, player. You know, he caught passes out of the backfield, ran the ball. He was a, a returner and stuff. Uh, very efficient. If, if they had fantasy football back there, James Brooks would definitely be one of those guys that people would own. Uh, he just was really dynamic. Um, I actually remember him throwing a touchdown pass against, against Washington in a game. Um, mm-hmm. But so I, so James Brooks is a guy that just stands out to me. So what about that's you? Brad? Great, that's a great pick. Yeah. So a couple of my favorite guys, um, they're from the seventies. I, I really like those night, those seventies Bengals teams. You know, the seventies were a brutal, brutal time to be a good, but not great AFC team, right? So the seventies was dominated. There was like one great team in each of the three divisions in the East. It was the Miami dolphins and they ruled the East for several years there for most of the seventies. Don Shula led dolphins in the central, uh, of course, was the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, great Pittsburgh Steelers team that, you know, won the division pretty much every, every year uh, throughout the seventies. And then in the West, it was the uh, Oakland Raiders. And so the Bengals really had a tough road because there weren't, there weren't, there was one other playoff spot for a wild card team and that was it. And, and they had to play the Steelers a couple of times every year. And, and for me, for much of the time they were playing, the Oilers were good, et cetera. So it was it was a it was a tough tough um, position for them to be in, and they had a great great quarterback and great offense. Um, and their their quarterback Ken Anderson I think is one of the most underrated quarterbacks of all time. 
It doesn't get the love because they never really got that playoff success because they couldn't get past Pittsburgh. Um, but there's a couple of guys from that team, I think, who are, are similarly underrated, who deserve some love. And one is the, the wide receiver, Isaac Curtis. He uh, went to college at San Diego State um, and uh, and was it was a Bengal for about nine years, was, was Ken Anderson's go-to guy. Actually started his college career at UC Berkeley, my alma mater, and um, was on the track team there and ran in like a 9-3-100. He was ridiculously fast and, um, you know, was, was uh, Ken Anderson's sort of deep threat. Um, so while there were Charlie Joyner was the underneath receiver there. And then uh, opposite him was a cornerback, Lamar Parrish, who I think is probably the most one of the most underrated defensive backs in, in NFL history. Great, great player. He was basically Lester Hayes before Lester Hayes uh, became who he was. Uh, tough, physical uh, guy. Lots of it. He had 47 career interceptions. Um, great, great player. Um, and I just never really quite got the got the love he deserves. Played played uh, basically throughout the seventies from seventy to seventy seven. So he played in a division where Mel Blunt was was reigning supreme. So he just never got you know he was always playing second fiddle to to guys on on the Steelers who had of course you know arguably the greatest defense of all time. And so that that's that's a shame that but not neither of those guys ever really got there to do because they they were terrific terrific players. Yeah, you know I uh, yeah I. I don't remember those guys, Rabs. That's uh, that's a little bit too early for me. Um, I was, I thought you're not going to give any love to Chris Collinsworth. No, it's like I feel like he's the forgotten. Like people probably don't even realize he played football. You know, uh, but uh, <laughs> they just know him as the you know the football guy, the uh, analyst now. But mm-hmm. well, he played he played in the era where you could be a receiver who was like six three and weighed 170 and still and still hold up. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> So I tell you what. Let's um, speaking of Bengals, let's let's get our let's get our friend in here, and we'll talk some talks. Get really get down to to brass tacks and talk some Bengals. What do you say? Yeah, let's get let's get John in here. Sounds like a good plan. Let's do it. All right, students, put down your ice lattes and get your hands ready for some applause to welcome in our special guest lecturer for today, the great John Sheeran, who's the deputy manager at Cincy Jungle, which is SB Nation's Cincinnati Bengals site. He's also a co-host at Bengals OBI. And John is very well positioned to talk to us about his favorite team and uh, to look forward to next week's tilt against the Cincinnati Bengals. John, how are you? You flatter me, man. The great John Sheeran. I don't hear that very often, so I appreciate it, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Well, he, he says that to everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, you no, know, but you right, but, but you're the first guy I meant it with. Okay. <laughs> um, and actually, John, John did some did some fine work on the SB Nation NFL show on Monday, so he's plugged in not only to the Bengals but to the to, to the larger league picture. Um, Speaking of the larger league picture, I think one of the things that these two teams share is uh, their ownership group. Both of them are, are run by sort of family, um, by families, and, and their their front office is populated by people who share the same last name. And they're both sort of small, like, uh, you know, kind of efficient operations that uh, I think both, both families, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm misunderstanding the way that the Brown family operates, but both families tend to... Uh, you know, tend to like to sort of be a little bit insular and and keep a lot of decision making in house and things like that. So, um, we we talk all the time about what it's like to root for a family owned team. Um, so, what is it like for for you guys and and uh, you know from your your side rooting for a team that's owned and, and 
owned and run by the Brown family. Yeah, I guess I can only speak uh, just from the perspective of the Bengals, but yeah, it's it's great when they're winning, and it's a little hostile when they're, when they're not. I, I guess like the the dichotomy between the Bengals and Cowboys is that one family is kind of loaded, and the other family you know relies on running the team for its income. Its income, and that's been how it's been for 55 years since the inception of this organization, passed down from legendary Paul Brown to his son Mike who has been with football operations for his entire life but you know obviously isn't the football mind that his dad was and as the years have gone on like you've mentioned like he's gotten his family more involved within the operations of the team and just in recent years his his granddaughters Elizabeth and Caroline have both kind of emerged within the organization and now have you know significant roles in the the operations side of, of things and Elizabeth has been like just a, a godsend just for this franchise. She connects with the fan base in the city on a level that has never really been seen before since Mike took over the team 30-something years ago. So his, so her presence has been very welcome. She's been responsible for a lot of the great innovations and just the progression of the, of the franchise as a whole into really the 21st century. The Marvin Lewis gets a lot of credit for what he did and, and the input that he had on the organization, but Elizabeth in just three years has really you know, made her presence known with the things that, that she's done. And now that the, that the team is winning and is successful and, and it appears to be you know, primed to be successful for years to come, I think there's a lot of renewed faith in the Brown family overall. It's funny you talk about Elizabeth because a lot of us have been clamoring for Charlotte Jones, who's very clearly the smartest of the, of the <laughs> Jones siblings, to have a, a more prominent role. And they keep sort of relegating her to like, quote unquote, female roles. Um, and um, so Stephen Jones and then his idiot son, Jerry Jr., are the ones who have more prominent roles in terms of decision making. And we, we everybody, it's very clear to all, to all observers that Charlotte is the one who inherited uh, whatever brains uh, the Jones gene pool doesn't, in fact, possess. And I think that's that's so important to me personally, because I, as someone who's never played football, like I feel like a lot of people who are in that position where they don't have that like experience or that they, you know, they didn't grow up, I guess, like as a man in the sport and the, you know, you get all the advantages to that. Like when you are in that position where your legitimacy is always going to be questioned and maybe you're, like you said, you're relegated to roles that are way beneath you. You like, you work harder, you make sure that you are on par with like the best decision makers, the best minds in the game, just so you can keep your spot. And it's, and it's unfair how that has to be the case. But, you know, with Elizabeth, you know, she's, yeah, like her last name is Blackburn, which is the, the the last name of Mike's daughter, Katie Blackburn, who's essentially the owner at this point. So there is like, you know, naturally some nepotism there, but like she knows what she's talking about. She has earned her place within the team and, and her role has been well established now. And I think it's great that more people like her are getting recognition within the sport in general. Yeah, you know, we are at the mercy of the Joneses, and it's been a <laughs> it's been a wild ride, um, yeah. you know, to say the least. But uh, you know, one of the things is so cowboy fans are extremely jealous. They're jealous of basically the success that other teams have had. And you look at like some of the front offices, like with the Rams, and you know how they have approached it. You know, it's like every year, you know, cowboy fans are are always looking at some other team that just rose to the top. But then you got a team like the Bengals who, you know, kind of snuck up on everybody. So I want to ask you, my first question for you, John, is like, can you kind of explain to us, like, how did the, how did the Bengals turn this thing around so quickly? Draft good guys, sign good players in free agency. Like, they had legitimately one of the worst rosters 
in the NFL at the at the tail end of the Marvin Lewis era, and there wasn't a ton done about it during Zach Taylor's first offseason, which is how you get a 2-14 and record with Andy Dalton and Ryan Finley at quarterback. So, so they had a great 2020 draft class with Burrow, Higgins, Logan Wilson. Drafting at the top of the draft order definitely helps with that. They came back in 2021, had another great draft class with Jamar Chase, uh, Joseph Asai, who's contributing now, and some other guys. And then the last two free agency classes during those years, you had basically everyone be a impact contributor aside from Trey Waynes, who they signed a cornerback, and then they remedied that with a guy that you guys know in, in, Ch- in Chitabe Wuzier this past year. So the vast majority of their additions to completely overhaul the roster, like they've all hit. All of their investments have more or less paid off. There was the huge discussion between whether they should go Jamar Chase or Panay Sewell in the draft, and they opted with Chase beyond just the, the Burrow connection. They thought it made more sense just for the overall construction of the team, and it paid huge dividends as he was Rookie of the Year. He was an immediate number one receiver. So all of the decisions that they've made in overhauling the roster, along with the fact that there's been coaching continuity, they've got the same three coordinators with Zach Taylor for the past four years, obviously the same guys in the football operations. They haven't had any real changes in there. They've only added guys in that department. So there's been continuity, and the team just has gotten so much better with their additions in the last two years. I have to say, I felt very strongly before that draft that Jamar Chase was the best player in the draft. You know, I, I just thought that, you know, you watch his tape and he was just transcendent. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that, 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 I mean, Sewell's a great player. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves, but uh, you, you've got you to go with a guy who has that transcendent talent. You know, he was, uh, he, I mean, I, he's, a, he's a Hall of Fame caliber guy if he stays healthy, I think. Um, yeah. So, so you actually mentioned Chitabaya uh, Wuzier, and so before we get into into the, the upcoming game, we want to actually ask you about a couple of old friends of ours. One of whom is is Awuzie and the other is uh, our friend Leo Collins. So, you know, you were just talking about how they've been building the roster, how they've been bringing in some free agents in. So, how are those two ex Cowboys faring in uh, in Cincinnati? I really do love Awuzie. I love just the person he is, the story that he has, the the way that he plays cornerback. Um, like I didn't follow his career that much at Dallas, but I remember him coming out of Colorado, very athletic, very productive. I thought he was going to do really well for you guys. I think he ran into some injury issues, but you know, just as a cornerback who can match up with receivers in man coverage, just just be sticky in man coverage in that sense. Like he's he's a great athlete for the position, and you know, he, I, I guess with that contract, you weren't really expecting him to develop into a number one cornerback. And I think the original plan was for him to be a number two with Trey Waynes on the opposite side, but Waynes never stayed healthy. Wouzier was thrown into that role, taking on other number one receivers. And there hasn't really been a lot of weeks where he's looked overmatched. Like Devontae Adams, they played the Packers last year and Devontae Adams just scorches everyone. So that was probably his worst game. Other than that, I think he was like PFF's third or fourth ranked cornerback in just terms of overall defensive grade. Like he looks like he's fulfilling his potential and he's just a great guy in the locker room. I love hearing his chess stories, him and Burrow and some other guys play chess in the locker room. And then with Lel, man, I really, really loved him coming out of LSU. I hate what happened to him with, with that whole story about he, about the alleged incident, but then he, he ended up in a great spot with Dallas and Frank Pollock, who was the offensive line coach at the time, really liked him and just the way he developed in Dallas and everyone in Cincinnati wanted him to come to the Bengals. And when the whole free agency uh, 
situation was unfolding, and he was taking a visit in Cincinnati, and they weren't sure if he was going to leave without a contract. The whole city was on pins and needles. They were trying to find him in, in local shopping centers. They were you know, stalking him, making sure that he didn't leave without a contract, but he did sign. He's got a bunch of per-game roster bonuses, and it's kind of evident with you know some of the the ailments and the injuries that he you know, kind of deals with at this point in his career. So he had a kind of a tumultuous offseason dealing with um, some injuries during training camp. So he looked a little rusty in his first game against the Steelers, but just like I think the rest of the offense kind of regained himself towards the second half of that game and, and looked, he looked like the part of a starting right tackle and they haven't had that quality or caliber of player in a very long time at that position. Uh, for us as, as Cowboy fans, I think that's going to be a really in- interesting one to monitor because, as you may know, the reason that they found him expendable is because the, the, there was a guy named Terrence Steele who was a sort of undrafted you know, rookie free agent but worked really hard, has great uh, sort of athletic traits, good feet, etc. And I think that they felt that he was an ascending player and they all called him a, a descending player. And I think there was a certain point there where they just said, you know what, let's just go with the, let's, let's go with the future and even if it might not be as good as the present. So uh, Cowboy fans uh, all off season have been, you know, have been wriggling against that, that decision. And, um, and uh, especially after the, after the uh, let's just, let's be kind and say moribund uh, offensive performance in week one. I think that, 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 you know, that those voices have been amplified. So it's going to be really interesting because, you know, we're all going to be watching Leo Collins closely to see how he holds up. Yeah. I know I was actually, I was watching Red Zone, watching the game, and every time they would go with the Cincy the Steeler game, my eyes just focused in with Lyle Collins. Because I mean, I know this sounds terrible, but I, I just want him to be bad, and just <laughs> just just because it just feels like the Cowboys made the right choice. You know, you just want that feeling and stuff. And and uh, I tell you what, I mean, certainly there's plays where where T.J. Watt. I mean, T.J. Watt's T.J. Watt, so you know mm-hmm. he, he's going to just you know completely run over you at times. But then there's other plays that L.C. Just, you know, he's LC and he will hold his ground. And, you know, I mean, he is a good, he is a good right tackle. So, I mean, you guys got a good player there. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, it, I know Cowboy fans are always going to be watching between Steele and, and, and Collins and, and just always comparing and stuff. So, but, you know, I'm glad he's having success. I, I hope, I hope he doesn't have success on Sunday, but, uh, you know, uh, but turning right. our, our attention to Sunday, um, we want to ask you some questions, and we wanted to play a little game. We're, we're gonna we call this Who Day, where we're gonna ask you questions, and you tell us who day is the player that applies to. So does that sound good to you? All right, let's do it. All right. So my first question is, who is the one player that can completely destroy the Cowboys on Sunday? It might just be Joe Burrow, just because he's never really had two terrible games in a row, and that's typically the case when you're talking about you know high quality quarterbacks. But like Sunday, this past Sunday was just really uncharacteristic for him. It wasn't just you know the arm strength issues are always kind of going to be there, and he usually just counteracts that with timing and you know pre snap recognition and all that jazz. And he just didn't look like himself at all in the first half against the Steelers, and I think. You take the guy that Burrow is, the guy that just, you know, sticks to the film, is desperate to correct his wrongs, and just t- attacks it with the right mindset. I think he'll kind of be on one to make sure that Sunday d- doesn't replicate itself in Dallas. Yeah. He's got a lot of weapons, too. I mean, with the, with the three receivers, too, it's just like, you know, I, I think it's going to be really difficult for those guys to try to match up. The guy that scares me the most is obviously Jamar Chase. And I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like 
this is going to be one of those games where, like, afterwards, everybody is going to be attacking Trayvon Diggs because it's just going to be one of those. This is a really tough cover that you're going to ask of, of Diggs with, with Chase. And so, I, I mean, Chase to me, it just it's, it scares me this matchup. So, but yeah, Bur- Burrow, he's just going to be able to just, I mean, he's got with, with Higgins and, and the underrated Tyler Boyd. Um, you know, that's just a great assortment of weapons for Burrow. So, now, I will also say that I'm not sure that Cincinnati's offensive brain trust is going to feel like they need to unleash all their weapons. So it's possible they're going to play it pretty close to the vest because they're going to realize they don't need to, I mean, they don't need to expose their franchise quarterback to anything to beat this team. And so it may be that they're going to, you know, they're going to, they might, I mean, they'll have, the, they'll have, you know, sort of slow developing plays, et cetera, in the playbook if they need them, but I'm not sure that they're going to be super eager to call them. They don't need to. And frankly, if the Cowboys offense plays like it did last week, they're not going to need to. So it could be, it could be that our, our cornerbacks are spared, but only because of the game script. Yeah, and I think with, with with Diggs, just just real quick, like he remembers like the LSU Alabama game when when Chase kind of Chase and Burrow kind of did what they wanted. And I think Diggs mm-hmm. just had, I think he has something to prove too. Like eleven interceptions is is nothing to scoff at. And I know that his last season is kind of you can look at it different ways. Like yeah, he got beat a lot, but yeah, he made advantage. He took advantage of when the balls came his way, and you know. Burrow, he's not always going to throw four interceptions, but he does trust his receivers to make some plays. And if Diggs, you know, has opportunities to make a play on the ball, like I, I would expect him to give Jamar all of the, all he's got because I think he's got that in the back of his mind. I, I, I just wish, I wish, um, I mean, I, we don't have a whole lot of uh, of of hope right now as Cowboys fans, and I, <laughs> but I sort of, I just sort of wish we had a little bit more because I think if if the game was truly meaningful. Um, you know, it was going to be competitive. I, I think that could be really a key matchup and a really sort of scintillating matchup because I do think, I mean, these guys have a lot of history together. They know each other really well. Um, so let me let me ask you this. Uh, if the Cowboys do have a chance in, in this game, um, who's going to be the, the the player on the Bengals who they're able to exploit to to uh, to take advantage of and 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 keep it, keep in this contest? So I'm a, I'm a proponent that Eli Apple is not nearly as bad as – um, the perception is like he has some bad moments, but most cornerbacks do who aren't amongst the elite. Now, if Cooper, if, if Dak Prescott was playing quarterback, then, you know, C.D. Lamb against Eli Apple on some most plays. Like, I, I think that's a great matchup for Dallas. So I'm not going to say Eli Apple, even though I still think that C.D. Lamb is, is a better player over him. Um, right now, they have a rookie lo- left guard in Cordell Volson, though. And um, <laughs> he, he was named the starter uh, a week before the season began, but he was already taking starter reps before the season began, and when he was taking reps with the rest of the starters, the first time was against Aaron Donald and the Los Angeles uh, Rams during uh, some some practice uh, intra-squad intra scrimmages, if you will. So he was exposed to Aaron Donald, basically, as a first-time starter, and then Cam Hayward this past week with the Steelers. So not a great one-two punch to really start Welcome to the career. NFL, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Straight out of North Dakota State. Um, now you're, you're a starting left guard to, to protect Joe Burrow. So, like, he's definitely still the weak point on this rebuild offensive line. And just across the, the entire 22 starters, he's definitely the worst one. So if 
you know, there's opportunities to stunt either De- Demarcus Lawrence or Michael Parsons inside to take advantage of that matchup. Like, both those guys, I think, are quick and powerful enough to give Volson some problems. Obviously, he's left guard. Parsons and Lawrence are mainly off the edge. But if you're the Cowboys, you got to scheme any way you can to take, to take advantage of whatever matchup that you have. And I think Volson's going to be all right in the long run. But right now, he's just a wide-eyed rookie. Yeah, the Cowboys actually have been running a kind of package where they put their defensive tackles out out wide and put their bring their defensive ends in and put them over the guards um, in pass rushing situations and and then they've been sort of like the the fact that they have both Michael Parsons and Anthony Barr and they have them sort of like in the a gap so they really put, they, they really put a lot of pressure uh, on the interior so that could be really that could be really interesting to watch. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully there's some uh, the the Bengals turnover. Uh, uh, woes continue for at least one more week so that this game is is competitive in the fourth quarter. Uh, so speaking of the fourth quarter, we have one final question for you. Uh, who wins and what's the final score? Oh, man. I, I'm not confident enough. And I, I know this is kind of crazy. I'm not confident enough to say the Bengals cover the spread, even though it is Cooper Rush versus Andy, or excuse me, wow, I almost said Andy Dahl, Joe Burrow. So the Bengals have not, had a great history against backup quarterbacks. You can look back to just last year against Mike White. They kind of took everyone by surprise, and the Jets beat the Bengals that week. Um, I, I know that, you know, in, in all likelihood, the, the Cowboys aren't going to do much offensively, but I think the Bengals are still finding themselves offensively as well. Like, they, I think, need to fully understand that defenses are going to do whatever they can to take away the vertical routes down the sidelines that they love to run, like, the Bengals would love to throw deep to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins all game long, but teams aren't going to let allow them to do that. It doesn't really matter how talented your secondary is. If you just sit back and cover two and just take away the deep sidelines, like you're going to have to adjust offensively. And the Bengals, unfortunately, I think learned that a little bit too late last week against the Steelers. Maybe they, you know, have fully learned their lesson and are just going to just attack Dallas with a, a, a thousand paper cuts. Maybe that's the case, and maybe they just do enough, do that enough to to beat the Cowboys easily. But I'm going to say that Dallas makes this more of a game than I think most people are expecting, just because in general, I think the Bengals are just not they're I, I, I don't think they're an early season type of a team. We haven't really seen that in the entirety of the Zach Taylor era. And I think there's still a little bit more for them to work out. And also, I think Micah Parsons is going to end up with at least one and a half or maybe two sacks. As good as Jonah Williams is at left tackle, I think Parsons is a clear mismatch. And that's the case with most left tackles in the league. Like, we saw him just dominate whoever Tampa Bay had at left tackle last week. And Demarcus Lawrence, I think, is still is underrated now just because Parsons is rushing off the opposite edge. So that's still, I think, an advantage for Dallas in this matchup to keep it close, even if their offense can't really do a lot. So I'm going to say the Bengals win a relatively low-scoring game of, like, 17-13. to 13. Interesting. Let me ask you one question. Um, what's your confidence level in the Bengals in the Bengals' run defense in their front seven? I think that is probably their biggest strength right now. Like they dominated the Steelers up front. The Steelers don't have a really good offensive line, but like DJ Reader, I think is one of the more underrated players in the league. He might be like the second best, maybe even the best nose tackle behind uh, uh, Vita Vea. Loved him coming person. out. Yeah, yeah. Like Reader is a beast, and now he's rushing the passer consistently with effectiveness and. You know, it's a one-game sample size against the Steelers, but we saw flashes of it last year. So Reader, B.J. Hill, uh, Josh Tupo, Sam Hubbard, they're all phenomenal run defenders, and they have linebackers and in, in, uh, Logan Wilson, Jermaine Pratt, who can fill their gaps really effectively. So like, they have a really good run defense for sure. 
And so there was a couple of interviews that came out of the Cowboys locker room today in which it seems like, I mean, you know, whether this is going to pan out or not, but it seems like people are saying, oh, we're going to have to rely on the running game. And um, it doesn't seem like that. I mean, I, you know, what, from what I know of Cincinnati's defense, it doesn't seem like that's a particularly sound strategy. So I just kind of wanted to check in with you and see what you thought. Yeah, I mean, like everyone wants to establish the run until you can't run the ball, so. Right, right. And, then, and then and then you quickly abandon it in mid first, mid first quarter when you when you're down 14 and you've had two three and outs um well listen john thanks so much uh please before you before you head out tell tell all our apt pupils where they can find your fine work yeah so if you guys want to follow me for this week just for Bengals cowboys coverage i'm on twitter at john two underscores sheeran and we have all the coverage that any Bengals or Cowboys fan could want uh, this week at CincyJungle.com and listen to my voice with my co-host, Anthony Casenza, on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. So thank you guys for having me on again. Thanks, John. Dude, it was, it was great having you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, I don't know about you, but I really enjoy talking to John. I think one of the real issues with the Bengals is that they're not the kind of team that gets a lot of the national spotlight. So, the, uh, I mean, that's changing a little bit because, of course, they've got Burrow and, and Chase. But I think that, um, you know, over the years, the Bengals don't get a lot of don't get a lot of love on, you know, the NFL network shows and ESPN, you know, um, talking heads type of shows. So as a consequence, I, I, I don't know how, how much we know about the Bengals versus other teams. So it's really nice to, to have a chance to, you know, get inside the mind of a Bengals insider and hear, hear a little bit about, about their perspective. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It was great to listen to, to John. I, you know, it's interesting, Rabs, is I, I kind of want it with, with Cincinnati, you know, it's like, cause you know, is this a is this a team that is on the rise and that just kind of rose early and just like that? Are they going to be able to sustain that, or is this going to be one of those like one hit wonders and we don't see them, you know, for a while or something? Because I mean, you know, the AFC is a tough conference, and, and we know that Chase is awesome. We know that Burroughs is a good quarterback, and and they have good players and stuff. But you, I, you know, you really don't know. It's uh, I'll tell you what, I would really like to see it be the latter and and then kind of like kind of sputter because you know that's what the cowboys need this week you know and i so i i don't know how, i don't know how you're feeling raps about this game but i'm not feeling all, all that good i mean you know john he predicted a 17 13 score i i i actually got the bengals one more touchdown than than he does but then other than that i i, I you know i have the i have cowboys losing 24 13 i think it's going to be i think it's going to be tough for them i, I do think that there will be moments where it looks like they might have a shot. There might be some turnovers that kind of go our way. But in the end, I just don't think that uh, – I don't think the Cowboys' offense is, is going to be able to do – I do think they will score a touchdown, but probably not more than one. So what about you, Rabs? Are you uh, – do you feel any different about this? Well, I will, I will remind you that last week when we predicted, I, I said the Cowboys only score field goals. And you said, uh, and you sort of said, I'm not going to get a touchdown. I said, well, they'll miss an extra point. But I, I really thought that they would just score field goals. Uh, you know, I thought, I, props to you, I Rabs. they would have a lot of trouble. When I tell you what, that whole game I kept thinking of, oh, I was like, the SOB. It's just like, oh, you know, he he was dialed in. And it was like, 
you uh yeah yeah i mean it just kept, it wasn't nine to six but it tell you what for a while there it was pretty pretty close to that it, so. it looked like it was going to be in that range until the until the, the buccaneers finally started getting it in the end zone um i guess my question is how the how are the cowboys going to get to 13 and so it's possible that they're going to get a short field but i guess my you know my concern is is this team capable with cooper rush at quarterback with a backup left guard, um, you know, with with the receiving core they have of sustaining drives and having like 75 or 80 yard drives, especially against, as uh, you know, one of the things that John was telling us um, was how strong the, the Bengals front seven is. And if they're going to if they're going to need the running game uh, to really to really sort of like step forward and help them sustain those long drives. Is that front seven of the Bengals going to allow them to do that one? And I think the other question that's really important, is this Cowboys offense that's so penalty prone, are they built, are they wired psychologically to be able to sustain those long drives? Are they going to score without explosives? Because I think that it's going to be very, very unlikely that they're going to get a lot of explosive plays on offense. They're not going to get a lot of long passes. They're not going to get a lot of long runs. They don't have much team speed on offense. They have tremendous team speed on defense, but very little on offense. So where does, where does the scoring come? And it's, you know, it's going to have to come from giving them a short field. It's going to have to come from a defensive score or a special team score. So they might get to 13 if they can do that and get a cut, you know, and Cooper Rush can engineer a couple of field goal drives. But I mean, I, I'm really having a hard time seeing how Cooper Rush is going to engineer multiple like 70 yard drives, you know, from, from deep in their own field. So I'm going to say something like, I don't know, let, let's say, let's say 28 to nine. Yeah, I I think that I think the Cowboys defense is is going to be game, but I I I, I fear that we're going to see multiple games this year where they begin to wear down because they are light, um, and they're and they they're they're missing they're missing the guy who calls signals they're missing the guy with the green dot that's gonna that's gonna that's not gonna help them. Um, it's you know it's possible that that several guys can step up. I really believe in a lot of the defensive players they have, but I also think that they're. They're not a big defense. They're undersized defense. Teams are going to start to run at them. They're going to get worn down, and um, and 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 they have to play perfectly for the Cowboys to have a chance to win. And that that's asking a lot of them. Yeah, I think. I mean, I totally agree with you. It is it is going to be hard to see them. You know, try to. They're going to have to sustain drives. It's not going because they don't have the big unless Pollard breaks one or or they get something from Turpin or like you said maybe some, a defensive play that sets them up or close uh you're right that's we're not going to see the offense be uh lighten it up but i wanted to point out a couple of things just how, how i feel overall in the sense of you know transitioning from last week to this week i you know you know we talk about how we don't want to overreact to things and, and so i, I want to make sure that i'm not and i want to i want to say that tampa bay is a good football team Tampa Bay has a good defense. Tampa Bay has a good offense, and I think that's important to remind folks about because uh, it's it's possible they're the best team in the NFC. It is very possible. Yes, I yeah. And so, in another another element too is that the Cowboys got really bad quarterback play last week, and it's not that's very uncharacteristic of Prescott, and it's not something I don't think we're going to see, you know, continue. I I think that Cooper Rush is not going to be the good player that Dak Prescott is, but I think. I think we're going to see a better quarterback performance this week. I just, I almost think like you have to. So I do think that if you look at, you know, a, a better offensive performance and the fact that 
you know, the Cowboys, just that they're, they're taking on a team that is not as good as Tampa Bay. Uh, there's definitely some range of outcomes where I can see the Cowboys surprising people and coming away yeah. with, with a win. Uh, but, you know, I think well, a lot of us just, they want to see him prove it. Like, you know, show us. You, you guys didn't score a touchdown last week, so I'm not going to be putting my faith in you this week until you can go out there and demonstrate that you can do that. Uh, so that's why I'm still, you know, I'm still taking Cincy this week. But I'm not like, I'm not at the point where like our season's over, you know, we're in trouble now. Mm-hmm. And like, this is what a dreadful team this is. And now we don't got Prescott. I mean, I still think this is a good football team and that we are going to see some good football. But right now we're we're just in a tough, a tough place. Yeah, I think a, a couple of takeaways from from the game last week as they pertain to the season going forward. I think the first one, it's going to be interesting to watch. The first one is um, Tyler Smith looked great. You know, I mean, he, you know, yeah, he, he suffered some lumps, but I think the kid is the kid's going to be just fine and is, is I think, pretty clearly going to be the left tackle of the future and shows, uh, particularly in the running game, um, but also when he has to anchor against a bull rush, uh, an incredible amount of natural power. And so as soon as I think as soon as he works out some of that technical stuff, which might take the full the full year to do, I think he's going to be pretty formidable. So I think it's going to be a really interesting question in terms of how they perceive the team about what they do with him going forward. Are they going to kick him back into guard and have Jason Peters come in at left tackle? Are they just going to leave him and Farniak out there? Uh, I, I think it's going to be really sort of fascinating to watch. Um, but I think it's it's interesting because you know one of the things that everybody was really really worried about was was number seventy three and he actually was in, in many ways one of the least of their worries. I don't know why. I don't know why people were, were doubted that guy. I mean, I don't I've been I've been I mean, I've been trying to tell people. Absolutely, you've been. I mean, you've been championing him from the get go, from like early in the draft process. You were you were shouting his name from the rooftops. Um, the other thing is this. Which is that it's one game, it's it's a small sample, and as you as you rightly said, it, it's too small a sample for us to make any really uh, lasting determinations. Uh, and and one of the things that I've always said, and I get this from from the great Rafael Vila, who pointed this out years ago, week one uh, yields more false positives than any other week in the NFL schedule. So there's all kinds of times where you look back on week one results and you're like, how the heck did that happen? That team is way worse than the other team, but they beat them by 14. And so, you know, we have to throw that out the window. There are teams that are not prepared. It's still the preseason, as, I, as I've been pointing out, right? And teams are still figuring themselves out. But that said, a lot of what we saw in week one continued a lot of the disturbing offensive trends that characterized the second half of last year and, and particularly anything post-Denver. So, you know, uh, you know I, I think a lot of us have scoffed at this at this notion that, you know, Denver figured out the Cowboys offense and gave the league a blueprint. And while that's ridiculous on one level, on another level, teams started playing the Cowboys a certain way last year. And, it, and what that mostly meant is that they were rushing four and keeping seven guys in coverage. And there wasn't there a lot of, of open space for receivers to run. And that the Cowboys offense, the Cowboys receiving core, and the Cowboys quarterback all really had a lot of trouble with that. Now, one of the things that, that happened last year is is that um, you know Tyron Smith got injured and and uh, Ezekiel Elliott got injured, and so that running game that we saw that was so productive. I mean, remember all those games week after week of two hundred yards rushing. I mean, they were just bludgeoning people. Um, that totally went that totally went away. We don't know that that's, that's impossible. I mean, they didn't 
really stick to the run against Tampa Bay? I think rightly so because a they were behind and and, and uh, but even before that, it it seems like a fool's errand to run into uh, the defensive tackle that that, uh, that that Tampa Bay put on the field. But we have to see whether they can run the ball because if they can, they've got a chance. But if they can't, then then I think we're really looking at a whole whole set of sort of systemic, deep systemic problems that are plaguing the Cowboys offense, which is the offensive line can't create the kind of holes that allow them to sustain the running game. Or if they do, they're going to get called for penalties too often and put them in, in unviable uh, down and distances to continue to call running plays. Um, something's happening in terms of the receiver's ability to get open uh, when, when there's sort of a, a lot of guys being sort of put back into coverage. And, and honestly, the same thing was happening when Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper were in the lineup. So one has to begin to think about, is it something about the way this offense is structured or the way that receivers are taught to, to read defenses and, 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 and how they alter their routes given what they're presented with that is making it so that guys are not getting open? Because, because And then the third thing is, our quarterback isn't trusting what he sees. And, and, and he ha- and that's the thing we saw. We said again and again and again last year, and we said, well, maybe he's because he's injured. Maybe it's because, but the reality is he's not trusting what he sees. He's not being decisive. He's double pumping. He's, he's, he's not as, um, you know, at least before he got injured, he wasn't as comfortable in the pocket. And oftentimes the pocket was actually not bad. I mean, they didn't do a terrible job of pass protecting. There were some, there were some definitely some breakdowns, but it just feels like he's not, confident about what he's seeing and he's that means he's either holding the ball too long or rushing throws he's throwing late he's not throwing with timing anticipation because he doesn't maybe he doesn't know where he doesn't believe that his receivers are going to be where he needs them to be but if you remember like the the Dak Prescott we saw in his rookie year where he was decisive he was um you know, he, he, he didn't throw any interceptions. I mean, he was incredibly efficient with the ball. He, he protected the ball. And we're not seeing that guy anymore. We're not seeing that guy in, anymore. And so part of me, what I'm really going to be watching going forward is, is this offense broken, right? It, 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 it might not just be that, okay, you know, Tyron Smith's not playing. It could be because Tyron Smith's out. But Part of me was wondering, is it did the league catch up to this offense? And is this offense broken? And is the fundamental problem with the offense the thing that we've talked about a couple of times, which is that Kellen Moore doesn't necessarily have an offensive scheme so much as he's got a collection of plays. And so when you don't have an offensive scheme, you don't you can't integrate the running game and the passing game so seamlessly that your play fakes aren't aren't so effective. Right. And so part of me, part of what I'm wondering is. You know, like the Shanahan offense works so well because the running game and the passing game look exactly the same to a defense. So if you're a linebacker and you're reading your keys, you can't tell what's coming because offensive uh, running plays and, and, and passing plays look the same from your keys, right? And so you're always wrong or you're wrong a lot because you can't tell the difference. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's, if that's not the case for the Cowboys. If, if people know it's a run or a pass right away, if, if the Cowboys defense is too easy, easy to read. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this, but, but, and again, I, I will, I will say it, it's a very small sample size. It's, it's too early to tell, but all of the unsettling trends that we dismissed because guys were injured or, or offensive line was circulating or Amari Cooper was out because of COVID. I mean, there's all these things that happened. Zeke was injured. There's all these things that happened to the offense that 
didn't allow us to determine with any kind of certainty whether or not it was a schematic problem, right? It's, it's, it's easy to dismiss schematic problems when your stars are all hobbled. Well, I think this is going to give us further evidence to see whether or not there are schematic problems. And I, I tell you what, in rewatching the game from, month, uh, from last week, I'm beginning to wonder if it's not just that there's some sort of fundamental schematic problem, that they're too easy to defend, that they don't have a solution for rush for and put seven guys into coverage. Yeah, no, Rabs. I mean, I think you you you're exactly right. I agree with you. I mean, my my worry has gone from Tyler Smith and the offensive line protection to how are the Cowboys going to be able to defend the shell defense and when the when the you know the defenders are are sitting back on this and I you know and you're right we 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 don't there's too many things going wrong to to fully understand and I look at this one and I see just how how poorly Dak played in it so it's like it's tough for me to just totally say, Kellen, what are you doing? Um, but certainly there's, there's, there's reason. I understand Cowboys nation is really upset with Kellen Moore. And, uh, and I, I think I tweeted before the game, it's like, all right, Kel, this is where he's going to prove, you know, this is how, how good he is. And so far they don't, they don't have answers. And, and I think you're absolutely right. They're going to need to figure out ways to counter and whether it, it means, you know, people are going to hate to hear this because, you know, Jason Garrett said it before the game and everybody just went crazy. It's, they just got to really commit to the running game, you know, with and, uh, you know, Zeke was running the ball well. I mean, they keep promising that we're going to see more Pollard. It's like, why aren't we seeing more Pollard? He, he looked really good when he was bursting through the holes when they didn't call it back, you know, on a, on a penalty. But, but I just feel like, you know, the Cowboys got to figure this out. And uh, I don't know. It's You're right. The Cowboys offense could be broken. and And if that's the case, then it's going to be a really bad season, and we're going to see some coaching changes with the Cowboys, you know, come 2023. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we got we go from one worry to the next, and, uh, but you know what? That is all we have for today. Um, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review. Tell us where, wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, iTunes. Tell us what you think. Anything you would like us to see do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, you know, things you are worried about, or like, what is your favorite NFL helmet? Let us know. Hit us on Twitter. I'm at DannyFanum24. And Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we've got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have The World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay happy. Stay true to the silver and blue. We will catch you later. Class dismissed.